Welcome to The Meaning of Life, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. The Meaning of Life is a 10-part study of the three letters from the book of John. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. Let's talk about love this morning. What do you think of when I say the word love? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, Maybe you think about romantic love between a man and a woman, say like Romeo and Juliet. Maybe you think of the love that a parent has for a child. Maybe the love that you had for your parents or that you have if you have children for them. Maybe some of you might think of a best friend over a lifetime, somebody that you hung with or maybe you lost touch and then were reconnected with, but it's a friendship that has lasted your whole life. Um, If you Google the word love, you're going to be, have to be very careful of the selection of what you look at because there are over 120 million websites on the word love. So it's going to take you a while. Let me give you a list of some of the more, I'm going to say humorous, but I'll let you be the judge of that. Ilovedogs.com. Yeah, okay. I love cats.com. Atta boy. <laughs> all right. I love cheese.com. Okay. All right. I didn't realize we were having a vote here. How about this one? I love Lucy.com. All right. Uh, no comment on this one. We love the Iraqi information minister.com. True. True romance dating service.com. Love test.com. Matchmaker.com. The love calculator.com. The interesting aspect on all these sites is that love is seen incorrectly as almost a completely human endeavor. Completely human. It's all about people. But that's not the way the Bible teaches love begins. Love begins, according to John, with God. So read with me chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. This is just almost a treatise. And listen very carefully, because there's some things here that um, that we're going to talk about pretty seriously today. So, beloved, remember John is writing to believers. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, this gift. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Hmm. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God, the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, this abiding, God's love is perfected with us so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment. Remember that verse. Because as he is also, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, the love of God, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's what I want you to come away with today when we're done. Simple thought, growing in Christ is impossible without loving in Christ. You can't grow as a Christian without not just knowing about love, but without loving. Say it one more time. Growing in Christ is impossible without loving in Christ. Let's pray. Father, Please teach us about this today. It's easy to think, oh, you know, we know about love because I love somebody. But in reality, we love people that love us. And it's pretty hard at times to love somebody that hates us. How are we doing on that scale, God? And I'm sure that the answer is not too well. But would you so express and explain your love for us that we might in turn be liberated to love somebody else without becoming overwhelmed with anger or with resentment or with fear, as the verse says. Thank you for all of that today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So John has been talking about love throughout the letter. Um, Here in chapter 4 of 1 John, John launches into a full-blown teaching of how love is connected to God. And remember, the reason we study the Bible is that it changes the way you think about the world and all that's in it and the future and the past. And it frames everything and explains reality, not just so you become smart, but because, so that you can become like him. 
like him. I've said many times, you think it's tough dealing with me. You should have seen me 20 years ago. Ha ha, please laugh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I see the eyebrows go up. Yeah, the heck. <laughs> yeah, please laugh. If I, you know, <laughs> oh, that makes, whew, thanks. Um, but this full-blown teaching about why and what and how and where uh, love came from and what it means helps us to amplify our limited human understanding based on our experience of what love is. And in turn, that changes the way you live your life. We read in the Bible many times that um, Christian character if your knowledge of Scripture doesn't change and alter the way you make decisions and live your life, then you haven't read it close enough. Uh, either that or you were born perfect, and I know from Scripture that you weren't. Plus, I know you. Ha ha. See, I can get back at you. The bully pulpit. That's right. Okay, so... Um, these are some of the most articulate verses about every one of them says a little bit different thing as you go through. And in one sense, when you read it, the verbiage seems kind of repetitive almost. Because he keeps saying, we know this, and we know that, and this is love, and this is love, and this is love, and this is also love. But every single verse is telling you just a little bit different facet of this truth. So let's talk about starting in verse 7. Um, John begins here by talking about the example of Jesus. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. It's not a human institution. The way we know what love is, is because of God and the way he is. So we know what love is because God is love and we know him. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made real to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's salvation. In this is love. We understand what love is because love is not just a thought. Love is an action. Every parent knows that. Every grandparent forgets it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, every parent knows that. I just No more ad-libs. All right. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God created us with a special capacity to be loved and to love. Every single wedding I've ever done for 40 years, 15, it's up there. Has that phrase in it. It's talking specifically about the marriage relationship, but God created man and woman with a special capacity to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. We all know what it feels like to want to be loved. We all know what it feels, I hope, when we experience somebody that loves us, when you meet somebody for the first time and all of you're drawn to them as a, as a person, probably it's because they valued you as a human being and showed love to you. 
Later on, that love gets tested because we mess up and all that stuff. We won't go into that. But this special capacity for loving is human. Animals operate by instinct. You, who can say that a puppy doesn't love? Cats, different story. But human beings, it's no question. Now, you've met people who can do it well, and some can do it not so well, but human beings are created with this capacity to love and to be loved. But it says that it started with God. And we know because of the example Christ set for us. Uh, he is the supreme expression of love. Again, every parent knows how precious their offspring are or is. And God gave his, specifically sent him on a mission to die for you. Amen. Yeah, amen, triple amen. That's love. That's love. So we focus more and more on who Jesus is and knowing God. We come into contact with that love and it like invades our life and we realize. I remember the day I came to Christ in the eighth grade, the thing that touched me was that I couldn't believe that God loved me just like I was. I wasn't much, but I couldn't believe that, that he accepted me. Uh, just the way I was. Now, I knew my parents loved me and I knew my brothers, one of my brothers loved me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the knowledge that the God who made the universe had singled me out to love blew my mind, changed my life. It's what helped me to understand sacrifice of Christ and to give my life to him. We learn more and more from God about how to love others. So let's talk about others for just a second. Um, there was a recent survey. People were asked about church and what drives them the most crazy about the church. 100% of the answers were people. Crazy people in the church. Amen. Yep. And there's the king of it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, Jerry. Well, actually, I'm not kidding. <laughs> we love you, though. All right. Um, there are the ones that were called to love the most. The people that you are called to love the most are sitting on either side of you. The church. It's easy to love family most of the time. But... Little battles go on in church from time to time, and when that happens, the uh, you know it's kind of like uh, picking a speaker of the house. Things get ugly from time to time, and it is imperative for us to remember that this is the relationship of love, corporate love, individual love from one to another that the world looks at. Everybody expects you to love your spouse and your children, but they don't expect you to love people that disagree with you or, you know, fight with you. 
These are the ones because of how Jesus loved us first. And I would propose to you that you don't really understand how to love somebody else without first understanding how much Jesus loves you. It's radical. It's transformative in every way. It's the only thing that transforms. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us to see. So we experience love because of God, the Holy Spirit. He talks in verse 13. John refers to the role the Holy Spirit plays in loving. He is the confidence builder. Verse 13, by this we know we are God's people because the Holy Spirit lives in us. No matter what you've heard somewhere, the moment you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was given to you. You don't have to pray him down. You don't have to ask him in. You don't have to experience a certain behavior. The Holy Spirit is the gift and seal of God's salvation in your life, period. You are at that moment filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling, according to Scripture, may not go forever because you may choose to sin and all of that and become carnal And the Holy Spirit is grieved by that. And fellowship is broken. Not your salvation. But here at salvation, the Holy Spirit is given to you. And I want you to look at one word here in verse 13. And we're going to compare it with what we saw in chapter 3. One small word here in verse 13. uh, It begins with O and ends with F. What's that word? Of. Okay, sounds kind of weird the way it's read. By this we know and we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Okay, so is that a misprint? No. If you look back and and to chapter 3, verse 24, it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he is given. So the spirit is the doer of the gift. But in verse 13 in chapter 4, John is emphasizing that love is given to us um, of the spirit. John is emphasizing that the spirit is the gift here. And we know that's true. The Holy Spirit is given to the believer. Why? Number of reasons. The biggest one is he's the seal. Just like they put, you know, USDA choice or whatever. The Holy Spirit is the proof that God abides in you. That he has saved you. We don't always experience the Holy Spirit because we're kind of, we're especially people that are, are tend to be afraid of emotion. Because the Holy Spirit's going to get in there and mix it up. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things. Can some of you name what the functions of the Holy Spirit are? Just call them out. Teaches. He teaches us. He corrects or convicts. What else? He helps you discern, so he helps you think. He saves, but that's already been done, so he is the seal of that salvation for sure. Absolutely. He prays for us. So don't feel bad when something really, somebody that called me just this morning told me that their son had uh, died 
and tragic circumstance, I didn't know what to say. And I stopped and prayed. I don't know what to pray. I don't know. I mean, your breath is taken away with sort of the horror of that grief Um, because it was a suicide. And the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does all of these things and more. He intercedes, he speaks for us. Who does he intercede to? God. All right? He comforts us. Hallelujah. So we're going to see in this verse the combined work of all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, whose efforts coordinate to glorify God. Um, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to glorify God in salvation and Christian growth. The evidence of your relationship to God and your the commitment of your um, heart to him is going to be love. Love is how we know. It's how we know. It's how we know that you might understand a little bit about God because you're able to get past your own selfishness and love somebody unconditionally. And that is not easy. We know that. It's easy to love people that love us, but that really, love is seen when love is tough. Tough love, uh, sacrificial love, all of those things. When we love, we live or abide in God. In other words, we exist. In him we live and move and have our being. That's what's talking, our, our essence is in Christ. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The word abide has two connotations. First, we are at peace with God. Why? Because of the cross. God created, Jesus created peace between man and God. Those men that know, men and women that know him. We are at peace with God. If you're a believer today, you're not at war with God. I keep hearing people say, well, God didn't like this. Well, maybe not. But then they say something I got to argue with. They say, God's mad at me. God doesn't get mad at you if you're a Christian. God may become angry at certain things, but God loves you. He may discipline your sorry behind, but he doesn't. He's not, he's not hating you like you would experience hate from somebody that did something. And that goes back to all that business about our shame and our guilt is paid for and it's done. Uh, so that's the first uh, abide is that we are at peace with God. And the second is the idea of time. We stay there in his presence regularly. Do you ever sit down to pray and realize it's been a week since you prayed? Maybe. Not me, I'm a pastor. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we all do, okay? Let's admit it. And that feeling of shame, God says... Jesus took care of that. Let's just, let's talk here. And he wants us to just continue on to grow. Just go back to him and just, you know, have at it. 
And, but he wants that regularly. So the idea of abiding is you live there. That's what the word means. You live in his presence. Day after day after day. And it be, can become conversational. That's why prayer doesn't have to be a rigid thing. I'm amazed in some of the places where I grew up in a denominational church, very ecclesiastical. Prayer was an incantation, a memorized thing that you were judged on how well you did it publicly. And that's really not what prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. That's why we just say, hey, the elders and staff of, you know, of Center Stage Church or my Aunt Sally, God really wants to hear from you regularly, however you talk. And if you're with him every day, which hopefully you are, you can speak to him in a hurry. You can speak to him when you have tons of time. You can speak to him fast. You can speak to him slow. You can speak to him however you are. You come to him because you're there all the time. That's what abiding means. And that has to do with love. Time passes and we are still seeking also to love that other person as well. How and why? Because we live with the Lord. We hang with him. And we can say, when somebody's ugly, God, thank you for loving me when I was ugly to you. That's the key. It'll change. I guarantee it. Anything I have that's of any value to anybody else comes because I understood how much value God placed on me and how much he did for me. It's no matter how old you are, doesn't matter. Get your eyes on Jesus and you will love better, period. All right. Time passes. We seek to love the other person. It's all because of the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. All right. Verse 16. We are not afraid of judgment because of love. How many of you live your Christian life afraid of God because he's going to hurt you because you're not perfect? Silly us, nothing could be more untrue. But everything the enemy wants to say is you're bad, you're bad, you should feel guilty. And so we do. Because we think, oh, what I did was bad. Yes, it was. Christ died for that already. Get over it. Grow up in him. Quit being temporary. Abide in him, etc., etc. One of the key benefits in our abiding with God is what it says confidence. Okay? After a while, you realize I can do this in him. He helps me. I know how this works. And so you have to stay there. Right? It's like drinking water every day. You're going to get thirsty if you don't have it. Time and time again, the enemy seeks to discourage us by the accusation that we're not really saved, that we got to do something to earn it. And have you done that good thing today to get on God's good side? Yeah, error. Beep, beep, beep. Not really a good Christian. Somehow I've got to do some more good things. How many of you have heard in the last week 
that if you have all the good things add up and you have all the bad things add up, whichever list is higher, that's whether you go to heaven or hell. You hear it all the time. It's silly. I mean, that's what the enemy says because it's always going to be what's bad. Is a little bit higher. Sorry, hell. No, no, no. It's not how it works. John begs to differ with this. He says, in him we have confidence in the day of judgment. That's the big day. Call it whatever you want. Judgment seat of Christ, second coming, your death, whatever you want. Confidence in the day of judgment. That's the day you meet your maker and he isn't fooled by your behavior. He's a lot smarter than you are because he made you. That'll humble you. In the day of judgment, you have confidence. In other words, I can know that I'm saved. And if I know that I'm saved, I don't have to keep trying to earn and spend all this stuff trying to be good to God so that he will love me and save me. Jesus did all that. And that's what it means to have confidence in the day of judgment. How many of you, I mean, I bet 100% of you, unless you haven't been watching the world, have passed by if you're on social media especially, some podcast about end times. They're everywhere now because of the invasion of Israel by uh, Hamas and Israel's retaliation and the, oh, we're heading to World War III and we very well might. Our world might change in the next six months irreparably. And so people are thinking, wow, let me go back and remember, and I'll see, you know, somebody makes a peace treaty with Israel, and then the rap, when is the rapture exactly? And, oh, I thought that was after over here. What do I believe about that? You've, I'm sure many of you have thought all this. And if all of a sudden, zoom, that gets in your face, like this is the end, it changes your perspective about things. All of a sudden, you don't really care about your car do you? You don't really care about your house or your bank account. What do you care about? The people, the people around you. And so we're all thinking about, is there somebody that I know that doesn't know Jesus? And there is everywhere. Even what about me? Maybe some of you are thinking, am I really a Christian? And you go back through all of that. What is a Christian? And it puts fear in your heart. And so you say, well, I better do some more good stuff. No, no, no. You might need to get right with Jesus if you're not. And what happens when you do? Confidence. And later on, John is going to say explicitly, I write these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Confidence. There's no question in my mind that I'm a Christian. None. Now, I struggle with lots of things just like everybody else. But I've never once doubted that I didn't become a Christian when I did. Thank God. I don't take credit for that. It's a gift of God. But it's a gift of God given to those that spend time with God. Because that's how you get it. Abiding produces confidence. 
Confidence in the day of judgment. So what is it confidence about? The fact that I'm saved. I've got the get out of jail free card. It has my name on it. Whatever you want to call it. God is delighted when we remember that. And we don't keep trying to earn it. In other words, we understand that he did it for us. That's what grace is. Psalm 147 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. That's what it's about. He did it. That's the end of it. It's mine. It's yours. It's ours. All right. Verse 19. We express this love because we see it. We are able to love because he loved We saw how he did it, and we copycat as best we can. John keeps saying that this is, he says it in a number of different ways, each time giving us a little larger view, and that's why I was saying it seems a little bit repetitive, of how to love and how we can love each other. We are able to love others because we have first seen him love, and then we felt him love. When's the last time, think about it, give, give yourself a concrete example. Um, when's the last time you were overcome with feelings of gratitude that somebody expressed love to you? Maybe it was a kindness, maybe it was a word, maybe it was something, okay? It feels good. Probably you can remember it. That sort of expression only happens because somebody got it first. We, didn't, we don't learn that on our own. We're selfish. We want to have the big car and keep our stuff. But when somebody says, here's something that's important to me, but I want to give it to you because I feel like I want to because I love you as a friend. And we go, humma, humma, humma. Freaks us out. We have seen Jesus love people, and then we have seen Jesus love us. Verse 19 we love because he first loved. That's it. That's why we study what he did. Because uh, that's the only way you meet him. First, it's information, and that information bears witness to your heart, and you realize it's true information. And then you realize the meaning of it and the implications of all of this, and the story of it, and the way it fits all together. And you get the gospel, and you say, Wow, that's more than I can ever. You hang your hat on it. You say, God, that's what I want. Thank you for loving me. I come to you. I bow my knees before you. I thank you for saving me. And God says, get up now. I've got a job for you. It's kind of like when you walk into the church. If you're new today, the second time you're here, you get a job. (laughs) Second time. Maybe the third time. All right? So don't talk to me if you don't want to work. That's what we're here for. And I say that a little bit in jest. um, But not totally. All right, so here's the application, best I know. I've kind of bounced around just a little bit, but 
This is so important, folks. It's like, this is where the rubber meets the road because nobody gives a hoot what you think if they don't sense that you care about them. We don't live in an academic society like the ancient Greeks. We live in a very selfish society and the only way to have the word of Christ go out is that, it, that you are what people see when they see Christ. You're the hands and feet of Christ. That's why we're doing things like the food bank. That's why we spend a lot of time on this stage inviting actors and singers to come be part of our fellowship so that they might know that Christians aren't hateful and really aren't that weird. We do that so they might see ultimately the Christ that we serve. Because we saw him, we kind of dug that, we want to share it. All right. So here's what I say is uh, the takeaways. The first, the key to loving others is to be experiencing the love of God first. In other words, you can't share what you don't have. I cannot give to you something I have never received. When you see somebody who is bitter, it's because they had a disappointment that they couldn't come to grips with almost every time. When you see somebody that's hateful, as we say in the South, it's because somebody taught them how to be hateful by being hateful to them. Or there was a heartache that they couldn't explain, so they blamed God. I cannot give what I don't have. And I don't mean making it up on your own. I'm saying going and abiding in God and seeing it in your life. That's what I mean. The example of it is how it feels to receive it. Then you're filled up and you can give it. How do I get some of that love if I'm having a hard time loving people? Go get with God. It's pretty simple. Get in a room or drive down the street, or get with your Bible, or kneel beside your bed, and don't get up until you feel like that you have spent some time with God. Just talk to him. Whatever's on your heart, tell him your life. Tell him everything that's wrong. He already knows. And then spend just a little bit of time reading your Bible. That's how we listen. Maybe listen and just still and quiet. And I Guarantee you, it'll change your life. Guaranteed. More than any health food diet, more than any jogging, anything like that. Getting with God will allow you to experience the love of God. Trust me. Establish a relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship of love with people, it's because you haven't been with God enough privately. That's where the power is. Fill up, give out, okay? If you're gived out, get alone. Go somewhere by yourself. It'll be okay. Take a month off from everything and go get with God, whatever that means to you. Take your Bible, because that's how he speaks. That's how you learn the specifics. And think about your life. And go back and count the times that he has met your need. And you... Ignored it at the time, maybe, or said, oh, well, I'm sure I'm lucky, or maybe you took the credit for it or some other silly thing. 
but he's the one that did it. The key to loving others is to experiencing loving, experience being loved by God. Meditate on his will for your life. Receive the loving that he wants to shower on you. He wants you to be overwhelmed with how much he loves you because that's how much it is. Read the book of Psalms. Read anywhere. Really receive that love. Let it wash over you. And if it's not washing over you, turn the shower up. Do it more. Ask God to change you. He will. He will. That's the key. Fill up, give out. Okay. Second thing, when I have difficulty loving others, I need to go back to Jesus, okay? Don't stand over here, somebody's difficult. You know, you're really hard to live and you lecture them about being hard to love. That's really loving. Has it ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Somebody wants to, okay, so maybe they have a legitimate, I want to help you. That's their version of loving, so they step out into what they think is giving out God's love. And then when you go, maybe you're broken. And you say, yeah, I don't want that. Well, why not? And then all of a sudden all this, you know, carnality comes out in you because you wanted it to be easy. Sorry. People are broken. Guess what? You're broken too without Christ. And if you run out of energy loving people, just go back and get some more energy, all right? My son uh, called me the other day, home, oh, our car, Kirsten's car, actually, it, it won't charge. Well, why did you get a car like that? Um, all right, that was an aside. I don't really believe that. Well, it's got to have a new battery. Okay, fine. Well... When you run out of power, go get charged again. How do we do that? That's what fellowship and abiding in Christ is. That's how you get recharged. And some of us are sitting, however, over here, fat and sassy again, like we say in the South, and there's no use for the electricity that's just flowing in our veins. We're so excited about God, but we never go out there and give it away. That's the opposite problem. When I have difficulty loving others, I need to go back to Jesus. So I'm over here, I'm worn out. Somebody throws it back in my face. And instead of lashing out and, you know, being human, I just run out of energy. It's like, okay, I'm so sorry. And you just back out, but you're depressed. At that point, or you think, you know what? I'm changing that. I don't really love you. In fact, I hate you. We've all felt it, okay? So that's where you go back and you say, oh, dear God, I just really screwed this up. This person now made it worse because I tried, tried, and tried, and then I overreacted to their rejection. When your cup is empty, learn how to fill it. How many of you remember the song? Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and cleanse this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup fill it up and make me whole. So it's a really good way to think about it. This cup is, is the part that you can give away. And when you give it away, just go back and refill it up. God wants to do that. 
Just like plugging that battery in. All right, third point. Uh, there's kind of a domino effect here. We say, as I learn to love, I will experience spiritual growth in other areas of my life. You're going to find other areas of your life that are helped as well because you're learning to love somebody. I'll give you an example. Okay, so I'm learning to love other people more. You will find that you love the things that you have less. Because you're learning that the most important thing to God is the people. And not the things. And yet we spend 90% of our time acquiring and distributing things. And holding on to things, maybe. Uh, another Example would be as you learn experientially, it's going to reflect back on things that you've read and studied and knew, and all of a sudden your intellectual understanding of what loving means allows you to be able to articulate it to somebody else. And you can do what I'm doing now, and that's teaching somebody how this works by God's grace. Learning to love others I promise you, you will be less motivated to get ahead in life. We all have ambition, men and women both. Um, we can be equally driven to outside uh, awards, accolades, all of that stuff. Those things are neither good nor bad, but anything in excess can be sin, that's for sure. Um, if you learn to love other people, your possessions will follow that love. They will. And all of a sudden, you'll find that what you really want to do is give away some of your stuff. Because somebody needs it more than you do. And that's a good thing. So we bless that. And we don't say it has to be here at the church. Give wherever you feel like God wants you to give. And give because God gave to you first. How much did he give? Some people, when we study uh, tithing and giving, they say, well, I have a question, pastor. Should I tithe the gross income or the net income? You know the answer. Depends on whether you want a gross or a net blessing. <laughs> Sounds funny, but it's really serious. Okay? You know? Your heart is where your money is. I should say, your money is where your heart is. So look where your money is, there was where your heart is. If your heart is following Christ, I'm not trying to be legalistic, I'm not setting up numbers or anything like that. I'm just saying, most people, when it comes to money, it's an easy example. They use, oh, it's a 10% is legalistic. They use that as an excuse to give less, not to give more. Okay, there's people in our church that are very, very understanding of this principle, and they give liberally, not just to the ministry here, but to one another. They're always asking me, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I, sometimes I don't know what they, they can do, so I just say, pray, and God will show you. Learning to love others and you're going to be more content. You will also think more spiritually. You will see God's perspective because love is his perspective. 
you will find God begins to move in all these other areas of your life. And one day you wake up and you realize, dang, I'm a different person. Thank you, Lord, because this is what I wanted 20 years ago. Or maybe you just realize I've come some direction and you're happy with that. That's where I am. I've got a distance to go like anybody else. But I am grateful to God that he has shown me through example in loving and living that the priorities that I had when I was young aren't the real right ones. And it really doesn't matter if people think I'm this or that. What matters is what God thinks of it. And ask yourself the question, how many people that you know are better people today because they knew you? Because they knew you. That gives you an idea of some of the ministry of loving that can be had in people's lives. Uh, Watchman Nee said this, I have never met a soul who has set out to satisfy the Lord and came away unsatisfied himself. That's how it works. Follow the Lord and the Lord will supply every need you have. Um, there was a teenager who didn't want to be seen in public with her mother because her mother's arms were terribly mutilated, disfigured. One day her mother took her shopping and reached out her hand. The clerk looked horrified. Later, the child was crying. The girl told her mom how embarrassed she was. And the mom was hurt by that. She waited an hour before going up to her daughter's room to tell her for the first time what happened. She said, when you were a baby, I woke up to a burning house. Your room was an inferno. Flames were everywhere. I could have gotten out the front door, but I decided I'd rather die with you than leave you to die alone. Okay. I ran through the fire and I wrapped my arms around you. Then I went back through the flames my arms caught on fire. When I got outside on the lawn, the pain was agonizing, but when I looked at you, all I could do was rejoice that you were fine. The flames hadn't touched you. So I would imagine that that teenager from then on never thought of her mother the same way. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. And when you are living with that fact, that reality, every moment of your life, it changes how you look at God and how you see yourself and how you can then see others. Um, so this is the, uh, the work for the week. Um, let's all grow up and love other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great example and truth from John and from your Holy Spirit about how to love. We love you, Lord. We thank you that all of this is possible because of the cross, because of the sacrifice that you made on Calvary for each one of us. We love you today and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about the Meaning of Life podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org. Thank you.